call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 129 of Call of Friend of the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie, my co-host Anna Katina, watched two American horror films, 1971's Let's Scare Jessica to Death and 2023's The Boogeyman. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call of Friend of Podcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. Find me on Letterboxd at AndyCIFPod. Donica says he's on there as his name. So if you find him, you win a prize from him. Peace. Do you like Colin Quinn? We're recording. Do I like Colin Quinn? Of course. He's a legend. Who yeah. doesn't like Colin Quinn? Uh, no, he's one of my all-time greats. I, he's one of my heroes. Like, I just think he's uh, just perpetually kind of grumpy, clearly smarter than everyone in the room, but never really acts like it. You know, he's one of those guys. I like that a lot. For me, heroes are only nurses, doctors, firefighters. So, uh, No, teachers are the real heroes. <laughs> That's true, them too. I forgot about them. Have you ever heard, uh, not the Norm Stick yeah, on the radio, but Norm with the One the of them likes, yeah, smashing the heckler lady. I just <laughs> listened to that not that long ago, actually. So funny. It's you just... sound like you'd be a terrible teacher, I can't do Norm. Hi, I'm Norm <laughs> McDonald. There you go. <laughs> that was always his thing. Uh, he was like, you know, people yeah, would come up to him and say, oh, I do a great impression of you. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> but I nailed it. <laughs> Indeed, you did. But did you watch it, the other stand-up that I watched this week? This I is did the not. podcast, folks. I'll tell you what. I watched the first seven minutes of it, and I couldn't. And... I had to dip out. I couldn't take it. Really interesting. It, me. it physically tell me more. Me to watch. So we're talking about old. Uh, year... <laughs> we're talking about old Nicholas Mullins. Uh, Nick Mullins, Year of the Dragon. Yeah. How far back do you go with Nick Mullins stuff? Um, unt- as Come far to. back. Yeah, yeah. So when he first appeared on, he appeared on the podcast that turned shit pretty quickly, uh, Race, Race Wars, Wars. A, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was just really funny on it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I sought out his podcast. I sought out Kyle Dunnigan for the same reason, because he was on Race Wars and he was really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and then that uh, podcast dissolved pretty much. But uh, yeah, Come Town, I listened to for most of the run, sometimes the thing is he's clearly like mentally ill. So yes. when he was, when he was, but he's also one of the funniest people in yeah, the world. Agreed, like agreed in, in, incredibly, incredibly funny. But like you could tell where he was going through a depressive period because the podcast got really depressing and he was just really mean and horrible. And yeah, yeah. so, it, you know, there is that, but then the thing is, I don't think, I don't think there's Anybody, because the thing is, okay, so my favorite guy who we were just talking about him is clearly Norm MacDonald. And I think he's just his entire, it's very, very effortless uh, for him. And it's not, I'm not saying it's effort. Well, it needs to make an effort. He just seemingly, he, he almost talks and thinks in good comedy bits. And even the ones that don't work, you're kind of amazed by how rapid fire they're coming out. That it's just, it's all a very exhilarating experience, particularly him on a podcast, as we've said before. That's my problem with this special is I would much rather just watch him for one hour riffing on a podcast. I Okay, I'm someone who usually struggles to watch stand-up comedy. I very rarely watch specials. 
I'm the with only you specials most of the way. I remember watching and enjoying over the last year or so are Shane Gillis and Mike Vecchio. And Gillis because I enjoyed being in his company for one hour and Vecchio because he's like an insanely prolific writer. But I just I, I had to tap out of the of Mullen's special after seven minutes. Cause I think one of the problems was it is he seemed so intent on everyone knowing that he's a good guy it just uh, so much of it seemed to me of him going I, again i only watched the first seven minutes and i heard i that mean it gets i do better, agree with you but he's so he just seems so scared and to go like listen guys just so you know i'm coming from a good place whereas it kind of goes against everything else he's done in the past which was funny first yeah but i the, the, yeah but it definitely does he makes some jokes in there that there's no making those unless you're funny first i'll say Fair. I never made it that far because I just couldn't. I couldn't handle it. But this kind of, I, I think it's partially, this is just, I, I don't like how artificial stand-up is and I'm not particularly when, a fan of it. When lined up alongside comedy podcasts, I would certainly agree with that. That said, I'm I, I'm going to try and get back into stand-up comedy next year just because um, talent is coming to Barcelona in August and I want to... I want to blow him and uh, he only gets blown by uh, male stand-ups in their late 30s. So that's what go. I'm doing. That's well, for idea. me, with the Nick Mullen thing, I suppose, I I thought, it, yeah, he's definitely been funnier on, on podcasts, way funnier. After I was speaking about it with the enemy of the show, John Spillane, he sent me the come town clip of where Jack Nicholson uh, is having gay sex with grown-up handicapped men. Have you ever... Uh, <laughs> I that's one I don't remember. Oh, with the perfect impression as well. Do me a favor and struggle to do half of the alphabet while I do this, will you? <laughs> anyway, yeah, just... But I, I suppose it feels a little bit nice to be vindicated in a strange way because... Okay, so obviously the other guy from Cometown has gotten hugely famous in the last year or so. Well, I think uh, he could have stopped after just huge. <laughs> well, he has. He's gotten very famous. But also, he if you ever want to give somebody an example of what's become so annoying and pastiche about comedian clips, his would be the first account that I go to. I love watching crowd work <laughs> oh, <it's laughs> on just, social media, on TikTok. That's uh, all I do, one after another. Just, sickening just him talking about how much he likes vaginas and shit like that it's like ugh, come on but anyway he's gotten huge and he, he's successful also he well, in, yeah. Yeah, yeah i mean he's gonna die very young unfortunately yeah pearl yeah, yeah he is gonna die very young in stavros but he like he's gotten big i haven't watched uh, like i think i watched half of his first youtube special and i couldn't stand that i couldn't get past that yeah, but when, no, i haven't even tried with mullen stuff i think it's kind of vindicating because it's really it's these do just feel like bits he spits out on a podcast, but you know, they've written into a very tight stand up act. It's not a big event special, it's a club special. Um, and I think YouTube specials are actually a kind of a, a tough beast to hide inside, like, no amount of high production can really, you know, rain, like rein you in. And I just think there's just it's just a collection of very well written bits, which I enjoyed. Um, I'm not too keen on the current iteration of what he does on podcasts, even no. though he was good on Tim Dillon's recently. Um, there's one joke that made me laugh like a lot. Uh, I don't know. Did you get this far? Or, <laughs> Probably um, not. No, he says, I didn't have a laugh. <laughs> he says he wasn't keeping up with the news uh, when the war in Ukraine uh, started. And he just w uh, uh, logged into Twitter one day and saw the little flag and he just went... Uh, Oh, what? Oh, no. Is there a new type of gay? Which uh, I thought was funny. Nah, you didn't at all. Okay, I did, fair I enough. Do any, I don't know. There's something about it. It's just so 
it just feels so artificial and I just can't. But I also heard that this, I heard someone say online that this special is not for people who already like Ming Mullen. It's more for like, it, this is this is a special for men to show their girlfriends. And it's the only thing of his that <laughs> they could show to women and go like, look, this is, he, he's good, isn't he? Well, he's I really stra- softened himself for it. I, I straddle both sides, I, I would That's say. That's why I heard that about you. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, so, okay, you didn't, uh, apart from seven minutes of Nick Mullen's special, Year of the Dragon, folks, free on YouTube. You should check it out. Check it out. Um, Form your own opinions. Don't listen to us, losers. Indeed. No, well, no, listen to me. Don't listen to fucking Edinburgh tits over there. Um, Edinburgh tits is what I call myself. <laughs> that's the way. See, I'm not Nick Mullen. That's the best I could come up with. Edinburgh tits. It. Because you that's have a great. picture of Edinburgh behind you, and that's the, the word that popped into my mind was tits. Do you have tits? Yes. Yes. Oh, nice. We Very good. Exclusively reveal. Yes. You old soy boy. Um, mm-hmm. What else did you watch besides Seven Minutes of Year of the Dragon? Well, I watched uh, I watched two comedy films. I only told you about one, but because we recorded a day later, I got to watch a second. Oh, nice. I know what they are. I do. I watched No Hard Feelings, and then last night I watched Bottoms. Okay. Well, I watched Home Alone and X. So let's talk. <laughs> okay. What did you think about No Hard Feelings? I want to hear that. I want to. I wanted to watch that movie. Sean Baker was very um, approving of it. He said uh, the R-rated comedies have become a thing of the past, and they should come back. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think we both talked in the last year or two about rarely watching comedies, and I certainly tend to get my laughs from other genres with moments of levity written into them. And I think this has been compounded of late due to studios avoiding taking risks and choosing not to invest in bigger budget comedies for mature audiences, just like old Shawnee Bakers says. Mm. So given that Sony and Columbia spent $45 million on a Gene Stupnitsky sex comedy starring Jennifer Lawrence, I thought I should check it out. I have Stupnitsky. to say, mm-hmm. Go. sorry, when, when I saw the poster of this one, and it'd be like... What is the poster? I, is it like it's, it's Jennifer it, Lawrence it, and um, it, Andrew Barth? It looks like Feldman. a it looks like a three million dollar movie from the nineties, <laughs> and I was just look because Jennifer Lawrence is obviously a huge star. Um, but then I was looking at her in the poster and I was going, "Well, this just doesn't add up." Even though I I I was reading, uh, no, sorry, I, I started listening to a new podcast during the week, which I've enjoyed called "The Rest Is Entertainment," and they were speaking about the the oh, the effect. That's that like the, the spinoff of "Rest of Rest Is History," isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, one of the other Goldhanger podcasts. I listened to three of them now. Fair play, Gary Lineker. He makes good podcasts. But um, anyway, he he owns the company. But anyway, they were talking about the superhero effect, and they were saying that. None of, the, none of the people who are huge stars in superhero movies are actually that huge of stars elsewhere. And I think maybe Jennifer Lawrence is one of the exceptions to that rule. Because I thought I saw this poster and I thought she's too big to be in this 90s movie. Well, I, th- I, I kind of got the sense that maybe her star is waning a little bit. And that was part of the reason. But mm. I think she's also yeah. one of the producers on this, though. In okay. Fairness. So she can exploit other people now. She's a producer. Good for her. And she's been exploited. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She can she can continue the cycle of uh, mm. exploitation. Gene Stimnitsky, a Ukrainian Jew, probably best known for his work on The Office and his scripts for uh, The Terrible Year One and The Middling Bad Teacher. You seen either of those? Year One is no. atrocious. It's got Michael Sarah on it. Oh, it's yeah. Cave, the cave I have seen thing. that. That's very bad. Yeah, very, yeah. very bad. I was working in a cinema the year that came out. Uh, bad Teacher with Cameron Diaz. Not bad. I've seen that it's also. Okay. That's okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Not too bad. 
Uh, he also wrote and directed Good Boys in 2019, which I believe you're, you were a, a big fan of that. You liked that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I Boys? enjoyed that well enough. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was this fun. Is, this is probably kind of a similar territory here. No Hard Feelings has a protagonist who's quite similar in spirit to Cameron Diaz in Bad Teacher. She's a sloppy drunk who uses her sexuality to get what she wants. But underneath it all, she has potential to buck up her ideas and be a great person. J-Law is Maddie Barker, a 32-year-old living out on Long Island who's struggling to keep up on property taxes on, on the home she inherited, leading to her car getting repossessed. In order to get a new car, she ends up taking up an offer, offer from uh, Matthew Broderick and his wife to deflower their son. Uh, they sit her down and ask her, have you ever seen the film Broadcast News? Because our son is Albert Brooks. Do they actually say that, or is no, this just a podcast reference? Just That's a reference. Oh, okay. just he's a Brooksy. He, he's Albert he's Brooks. He's playing Albert Brooks. Also, right. Matthew Broderick looks like Colonel Sanders now, which is slightly off-putting. Yeah, yeah. First Bueller got old. Hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and there's uh, there's also one part in this where he's talking about how their son is like, you know, doesn't do anything. He's just like typical Gen Z, doesn't go out or anything like that. Mm. And he's saying like, you know, when I was younger, we used to we used to go out and drink and drive. He says something like that. I, I did have a moment where I was like, I don't know, Matthew Broderick, if it's a good idea. Yeah, you did you agree with that line? The, these things that you did. After in you your killed youth. a person in Northern yeah. Ireland? You killed a guy. Uh, yeah, anyway, so what follows is a film written by a Gen Xer pitting a millennial woman against a Gen Z teenager and his peers, uh, which does lead to some very funny moments, which I won't spoil here. Uh, the boy Andrew Barth Feldman uh, is the next big thing, apparently. He's very good in this. He's a musical theatre kid, great singer, which he showcases in one scene, uh, singing, mm. man, singing Maneater and playing the uh, piano. Which Maneater? Oh, there she goes. There she okay. comes. Oh, um, here she comes. Here Watch she out, comes. boys. She'll chew you up. So not the Nelly Furtado one. No. I right. don't know what that is, but yes. Not She's a man-eater, make you want more, make you sweat. Oh, you don't know that? Okay. I don't, I'm glad to say. I do You're not. very cool. Thanks. Andrew Barfeldman nails the comedy here. Uh, he's very good. I liked him. Uh, he, apparently, he was in maybe some kind of high school musical thing. Not sure, but anyway, he's solid. Uh, also, you may have heard, but Jennifer Lawrence gets fully nude in a very unsexy scene here, which is brave of her. I'm not, I'm not kidding. It is actually like genuinely quite brave like she's fully nude fighting on a beach ah that sounds fun it is it's very very unsexy uh, and i see a uh, eben uh, moss backrack is in this is he any good i like who's him who's that again this uh, cousin from the bear or the guy who oh uh, yeah, betrays yeah, them yeah yeah from yeah. Uh, andor right 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 yeah 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 he's solid uh everyone's decent Everyone's com everyone's totally fine. I I want to watch this. You've kind of uh, overall. I mean, I'd say it's a three out of five, three star out of five film. Funny enough, but not hilarious. It's also quite disposable. But I'd recommend checking it out while keeping your expectations in check, keeping your expectations low. This film made almost ninety million, so we might well be seeing studios rolling the dice on a few more scripts like this. Well, they're going to need to come up with new ideas now that everyone's tired of superhero movies. Uh, what would what rating would you give something like something about uh, something about Mary? <laughs> At least four. I, I think something about Mary is great. Yeah, it's hard, but it's hard when you cross genres. I guess you have to sort of accept. It's hard to give a comedy. I, it's it's it, that's one of those tough things. I know what you're you, saying. You, you pit a comedy against, you know, like something about Mary versus the Godfather is not really like a fair 
comparison. So I guess you no, have to isn't. take it. You have to take films at their own level and what no, they're trying I, to do. But I think it's harder. I think I would say this. I think it's much harder to be a five star comedy. Um, That's just true. because the thing is, I wouldn't like drama. Easy, you're right. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't give. Um, or at five stars, and I think that's a very, very funny movie. But I just, I don't think there is a bum note in something about Mary, and I think that's the that's why it's harder for a comedy because if one Who's joke doesn't the armor, Ted. There we go. That's <laughs> you know a scene that I rewatched many times. <laughs> you, you, that line. <laughs> you know what uh, my favorite line in it, in it is? What? Oh, it it has me cackling. Is when um. So Matt Dillon is mid pretending to be someone interesting who Mary will fall for. And he's got all these different angles like architecture going to Nepal. It's like oh, like he's stuffing fake blueprints into the boot of his car after he's been at the driving range. And then uh, he goes, oh, God damn, all I got is these damn Nepalese coins. She's like, you've been to Nepal and all this talking. And then he thinks he's about to put the final nail in. And uh, he goes, oh, all this architecture just takes me away from my real passion. And she goes, oh, and what's that? And he goes, I work with retards. Yeah. <laughs> and she, it's just it's just perfectly played because Cameron Diaz, who's really like, good in the movie Ugh. as well. Yeah, she's Ugh. like, I don't I don't know. Should you? <laughs> and he's like, to, to, oh, this one guy, we have him in a cage. And oh, yeah, it's very funny. But uh, OK, I will probably check this out because it sounds nice and easy. And uh, myself and the missus are getting better at bedtime. So we've got more time to watch movies in the evening. Well, tell me about Home Alone, because, you know, OK, that's because nobody knows about Home Alone. A tiny, you know, a jam, a little jam there. Maybe maybe we can uncover. Well, I'll just say I watched this so often as a child that I could uh, talk along with it. But also when I was a child, I didn't get, you know, a movie making work. And I have to. I, it because we wanted to watch this with Erin and she stuck it out for the whole thing. I was very cute as well because she's starting to get movies. She knows who the bad guys are and Kevin misses his mother. But like I watched this so often when I was a child, I had, I just hadn't watched it for years and I didn't really know. And I really, really mean this. It's like a it's like a nearly perfect film in so many ways. Like before the mad grand finale that everybody remembers, especially because you watch it when you're a kid and that's the best part when you're a kid. It's extremely well shot, like the opening scene in the house where Joe Pesci is pretending to be a cop down in the hall. And you're the, the, there's a, this long tracking shot that's wandering around just so you can meet the characters. Then it's just really well scripted because you automatically understand the relationships be between them all. And madly, the performances from the children are all brilliant. And there's like a few just laugh out loud lines. There's when Kevin realizes his kid his brother um no his kid cousin who's played by uh, Kieran Culkin actually is he's going to be sleeping above him in the bunk bed and he wets the bed he goes into his brother buzz you know the fuller and buzz. the mean yeah yeah and he's like uh, can i sleep in your room and buzz says to kevin i wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass which i i just had me laughing <laughs> so hard because it's very surprising to hear something like that in a children's movie you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. it, but it's also so realistic like when he fucks up all the pizza and everybody gets mad at him and there's this wonderful angle where they're all just staring at him and it's like it really takes you back to you know fucking up as a child basically and then there's the other part there's like two or three moments in it that made me just weep just absolutely bawling crying watching it like when the old man comes and sits beside him in the church and he says uh you know how you feel about your family is a complicated thing and he's saying how he fell out with his son and then uh, when Kevin goes to the Santa, who's clearly not Santa, and he says, I know you're not the real guy, but you, I know you work for him. 
don't want any presents, just want my family back. And then, of course, when his mum comes back, like, it's really a, I am I know I'm enthusing this, but I I just, it had way gotten past me. And I just think it's absolutely fantastic. I think kids really clocked onto it for a very good reason. It's just so good. There's scary parts in it. There's a part where he's decorating the tree and he sees Joe Pesci's reflection in one of the baubles. Joe Pesci's very scary in it as well. The two boys are. I, I think I think it's great, Andy. I think I wanted I think I wanted to go and rewatch it with my brother in the cinema. Like, you know, this is back in nineteen ninety or whatever. And mm. then he made us we went and watched that skateboarding film instead. Um Gleaming the Cube. Have you ever seen that? With no, Christian I have Slayer. Not. <laughs> and I was really annoyed. I was like, I want to watch Home Alone again. So I'd I would I, I definitely saw it at least once in the cinema. I've seen well, it this... a time. I mean I've seen it a million times, sure, sure. It's so good. I like. I mean, I know you're not going to go back and but watch I mean, it again. I'd but like, I mean, like, I clear, like, I loved it when I was a kid. Definitely, like, seeing I, it, the cinema, it, it, I thought it was amazing. Everybody did, and mm. but this is it's it this huge. much like Nick Mullen's special. This is kind of indicating to a film I watched to watch it a thousand times when I was a kid because it is actually it's really good, and it was also it was fascinating to see how. Aaron, Aaron's my daughter, guys. Uh, how she just just got all the beats and was able to follow it perfectly. Like, oh, son los malos. Oh, quiero su mamá, and all of this shit. Like it was, it was, it was very cute. And yeah, yeah, I thought that was yeah, absolutely man, you great. Can't, if you, you know, if you're looking at Joe Pesci, there's no confusion as to if this guy's a good guy or a bad guy. Daniel like, Stern, less so, but Pesci, come on. We're the wet bandits. <laughs> and he flows, it must have been flood. quite hard for the actors because. The guy who made this film was probably like walking around going, saying stuff like, it's round. It's not, it's round like an orange. That's a real deep cut there. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Who who made the film? Who was the director of Home Alone? Oh, very nice. <laughs> Christopher Columbus. Fair enough, fair enough. You're welcome. Yeah, well, he made another classic for children in the early 90s, um, Mrs. Doubtfire, which I'm also a big fan of. Uh, the Harry, Didn't he also the Harry Potter movies. Harry Potter, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Less so. That's the thing. He must have forgotten how and to Percy direct Jackson children by the time well, he huh? did those. No idea. He wrote the script for Gremlins, which Joe Dante then proceeded bad. to just make fun of with his script for Gremlins 2. Uh, but I still prefer Gremlins, even though I like Gremlins 2. Yeah, this is great. I'm probably going to watch Gremlins soon enough. And uh, you're on see... a whole Christmas thing. Did I mention last week that I, um, when I was watching Double Impact, uh, Aaron was watching a little bit of it, and I, because I'm, I'm when it comes to what I, I let her watch, I'm testing the waters. I won't put on. I don't think films have that bad of an influence on people, but I don't want to put on anything that'll upset her. You know. And, what did uh, you see? Too young. That upset I'm, me. I watched Alien when I was a kid. I remember, and I remember like sleeping with my arm over my stomach for weeks because I, oh I thought an alien was gonna burst day <laughs> things i found upsetting and... but but i also think that was like a powerful thing and not a bad thing you know what i mean no. it was like i think that just got to like it showed the power of film if anything. yeah 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 it sent me down a think... bad it sent me down a bad path of watching films but there are things that time. are there are things that are just like disturbing to see like uh i remember i saw in the name of the father he was on at christmas one time and the interrogation scene in that I found very upsetting. Whereas, um, like, I saw all sorts of violent things that I was able to just sort of brush off. I'll tell you this, and I know, yeah, you're a few years older than me. I saw The Blair Witch Project while I was still a child, I think. And that right. scared... I was already at university when I saw that. My God, really? Yeah, I saw it in the cinema. I, I need to see what year this came out. Just 1999, I can tell you. It was my first year of university. Right. So, that yeah, so I would I have been 17. 11. Mm. Uh, yeah, that that 
Did you do you like that movie? Yeah, I mean, I liked it a lot at the time. I I don't I don't know if it would hold up, but yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I, I I rewatch it every couple of years. I think it's still really a masterpiece. But as a kid, and then I was because I live out in the country, so I was walking home from my friend's house at like five p.m. in the evening. It was slightly getting dark. I ran like a lot of the way home. It scared me so much. But generally speaking, is like the thing is, I think there's a threat. Like I think. Under like six or seven, you have the potential to like really probably upset somebody. But after that, you're just learning. It's fine. You yeah, know what I mean? Fair. Um. So like, yeah, when some of the uh, one of the violent scenes erupted in Double Impact and she found that upsetting. So I turned it off, you know, and I would wonder how she'd feel about gremlins, I suppose, is what I was leading up to. I guess I'll find out soon. Yeah. Maybe she uh, just thought that was shy when she saw the two... Jean-Claude Van Damme's punching people. She's like, yeah, she's that's not gross. actually believable. She's just she's criticizing like, it. She was like, this Dad, is last week we were... to me. This is bad. <laughs> she was looking at it like, last week we were watching Friends of Eddie Coyle. What is this nonsense? <laughs> yeah. She's just got <laughs> refined taste. I thought you had good taste, Dad. Uh, so what was the other thing you watched? Uh, bottoms. Bottoms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what this is. You Not at all. Surely you've no. heard of it. I'm have you not it even now. seen the poster or anything? Bottoms is directed by Emma Seligman. And co-written by her and Rachel Sennett, who also stars in the film alongside Ayo Edibiri, who I believe oh, so is in The Bear. Uh, yes, she is, yeah. Yeah, so, I'm not familiar, I wasn't familiar with her at all. Rachel Sennett I am only familiar with because she dated Stavros <laughs> years ago. She was like a sort of up-and-coming open micer who was dating Stav, and uh, it was... It all swings back around, huh? It's always back it's to, all, it's to all, come it's town with us. Come it's all about the, it's all about the CTU. Come. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so this is like a scary movie type thing, is it? It is not. So, okay. So the film is about two self-described, ugly, untalented lesbians who decide to start a fight club <laughs> in order to bed two popular, beautiful cheerleaders. They're really sort of scummy and, and scuzzy young uh, ladies who are just there. All they if care about say, is just getting these two cheerleaders. If, if, I might I want to say this before you uh, continue your review. Just as a setup, I'm in. Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, yeah, I mean, the way it plays out, I think you would like it. I think you'd like it. I, I, I really enjoyed Bottoms. Firstly, the tone came as a big surprise. It's very silly. I don't think, I, I don't know if I'd call it scary movie, but certainly like Wet Hot American Summer towards something like Anchorman. I mean, no spoilers, mm -hmm. but they do like a whole kind of like, that really jumped up a notch, Brick killed a guy type gag towards the end. Um, so like it's it is that kind of silliness which I wasn't really prepared for. Like I didn't know I didn't know it was going to be that silly, and I was very very glad that it was because it it definitely works. Rachel Sarah, Rachel Sennett and Io Eddie Beery are both excellent. Yeah, I didn't know anything about Rachel Sennett apart from this, that she dated staff, but she's a very good actress and writer on the strength of this. Marshawn Lynch is in this film. He's like a former NFL player. He plays a sort of Ice Cube in the Jump Street films character, and he mm. smashes it too. So I'm sure you'll see a lot more of him him in films and comedy films going forward. I'm I'd go four stars on this one. Uh, I think it was really wow. good. I think yeah, it's it's a strong comedy. It's funny throughout. Um, it's a shame because this film cost about eleven million and it grossed about twelve. So I hope it made money on streaming or rentals or however films however films generate revenue now post cinema. I had somebody trying to convince me during the week that films pay to get on Netflix, <laughs> and like they were like they were revealing at it as this big thing at lunch, and uh, I just I I pushed it back on it for a second. I was like, no, what's the point? Uh, but yeah, there's. <laughs> 
there's no way that's correct. That's how films make money, basically. But the thing is, with something like this, they would get a one-off fee to sell the right. movie. So probably, like, like I don't know. You wouldn't know. Because it's like, where's S. Craig Zeller these days? He's not making movies. He's probably writing his 400th book. Uh, uh, Bottoms yeah. was put out by MGM cinematically. I don't know where it ended up streaming-wise. So where did you see it? I saw <laughs> Apparently it's on Amazon Prime. Ah, right. That's oh no, maybe, but no, no, that's maybe the, yeah, sure. No, I oh, I tell you what I did. I contacted Emma Seligman and I said, "Can I get a copy of your film?" And she said, "For you, Andy, yes, obviously. Go ahead." And she signed it. She signed the digital copy, which is quite impressive to do. Nice. Yeah, and I certainly didn't get it from any other source. It was definitely what I just said is how I got. It. But it's available, much like all other things out in the ether. Emma Seligman uses both she, her, and they, them pronouns. She formally identified as bisexual, but as of 2023, considers herself just gay. Join the club, Seligman. <laughs> I think, like, both of these comedies I've been talking about, I don't think, like, they both have major Gen Z characters, but I think they're both aimed at older audiences, which is quite interesting. Because mm, if yeah. you, re you read about this film and you, or you just like a sort of cursory glance, you kind of look at it and go like, oh, this looks like it's dealing with, you know, what it's like to be 18 now or something. But in reality, I think they're sort of pitched at people almost my age, which yeah, is no, no, disturbing. No. I, no, 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 100%. They don't know how to talk to the kids anymore. Yeah. Like, uh, for real, I, like, I, I even think something like uh, Booksmart was um, pitched yeah. at us. Yeah, because like, thing... I loved that. I thought it was great. And this is, this has elements of that here. The thing that's like uh, connecting with kids is uh, I'm going to put on my Adam Curtis hat here to culturally analyze. It's like a, oh, an overwrought, over-dramatized version of society. Like the stuff that's really connecting are things like um, Euphoria was big yeah, with the youngins. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's Sam Esmail's other movie that was fucking terrible. Like um, with them, um, what's her chops, uh, Zendaya and somebody else. Yeah, like the sorts of movies that are reminding us of the past. They're they're not connecting <laughs> with with a with their younger audience, and everyone goes go woke, go broke. But I, like, I don't think it's completely that. I I I just think people. I I think young people these days take themselves enormously more seriously than our generation did and that's why mm. things like that connected um sex education is another such example even though sex education is a comedy in in itself the thematics of it are just sheer overall tr drama do you know yeah, do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, the kids are all dramatic. right and and at the center whereas like something like skins felt an awful lot more i don't know dangerous lighthearted uh, surreal even mm -hmm. but i think i think kids are lapping up the uh, the uh, entertainment that takes them very very seriously that's how i would feel there mm -hmm. another big one is actually the a film that i really liked waves i think waves fits into that category i haven't uh, seen that i heard about it i feel like that's really good. like a mogwai score or something maybe not very maybe intense soundtracking throughout i could it's got mogwai would probably appear on it it is it, i feel like it's got like a Someone decent did the score anyway. I can't remember who it was. Okay, I'll, I'll search. Oh, no, it was Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, okay. That's uh, why I heard of who it was. It's heavily soundtracked with pop music anyway. Right. Also. Right. Um, yeah, so uh, there's that. I watched one other thing. It's my second time watching it, um, but I'm going to watch the prequel tonight, I think. So I watched X, Ty West's sort of uh, slasher throwback, but it's 
a throwback and a riff on slashers with such affection and respect, like kind of like Shaun of the Dead, let's say that it's just it it's it is a slasher movie. You know what I mean? But my wife, she, we watched it. She she liked it, but really, have you seen X? By the way, no. So I've talked I don't about think it I've in seen this any podcast. Film. Uh, I've talked about it on this podcast before, um, but I'll yeah, just to say it's uh, slightly again. It's about. It's set in the seventies, shot like it's the seventies. Uh, these bunch of people who work in a, these bunch of strippers and a cinematographer and his girlfriend and a strip club owner, they rent a, a barn and drive out into the country to shoot a porno movie called the the Farmer's Daughter. And the farmhouse is owned by this so old or nearly dead couple, and there's also a lake with a crocodile there, right? So, the the reality is so heightened that it's you know making a point of it basically. Um, and the, that's the other thing. Mia Goth, who is the lead in it, I suppose what you could say. What did we watch her in not that long ago? I was just thinking about Mia Goth the other day. Uh, was it when you were whacking off? Probably. She's an odd-looking duck, I'll say that. What, she was in, I don't know, Nymphomaniac. She was in High Life, Suspiria. God, High Life was awful, wasn't it? I mean, it was good, but God. Awful. Oh, no, I know I was. I saw her in well, the tunnel. <laughs> That's why it was. It was like one of the first things she did. It was like the, the UK remake of the Bridge series. Oh, okay. Any it good? Was like, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. It was like a shot-for-shot remake. I just never watched the like original Swedishy, Danishy one. Very muff. Anyway, anyway, she was in it. That was like her back when she was just starting out. But she also uh, she also plays the old broad in um, X. But though even though you can't really notice it, it's an odd thing that they, that they do. Um, the prosthetics, like, and I think with good reason, the prosthetics like quite bothered my wife. And then I was left giving the sort of pathetic defense, uh, like I'm like that's the point. And then it dawned on me that even though it's quite enjoyable, this is a film for people who like films and want to get them. You know, it's like clever so to speak which also means it's a little bit lame i suppose but i i still really liked it i'm gonna watch the prequel later today uh, as i mentioned also uh, wednesday adams aka jenna ortega gets the lads out okay how old is she <laughs> sorry old enough. Uh, yeah i was having this argument with people in work because they were all into wednesday i didn't watch wednesday at all and uh, i said I've, to them I've, i haven't seen a single i think i've seen yeah. one image of it that's it yeah, you know, it was huge when it came out. They were all watching it and they were saying, oh, you know, you should definitely watch it. And I said, I can't watch something when someone who's clearly sexy as fuck is playing a child. I just can't do that. And they were like, you're fucking being weird. I probably am being weird <laughs> now that I mention it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm not, I just I couldn't uh, bring myself to do that anyway. Yeah, Fair, uh, you have to I also think. Yeah, Wednesday Adams getting the lads out. I mentioned that, but like all the ladies in the movie get their lads out, so it's grand. There's no Spent. willies though. A, dis- a disappointing amount of willies, which is we need none. to go to. You need to go to French cinema for that, maybe. Maybe. Uh, anyway, I'll watch Pearl later today and catch you up on it next week. But besides those two, besides those two, we watched uh, two films, which I'm very interested to hear what you thought about them. Shall we mm. go with the toss pick first? Yeah, that's how we do it, right? Let's scare Jessica to death. Hell yeah, uh, which is uh, uh, both a dumb and brilliant title. Yeah, I mean, originally the film was going to be called Jessica, and then uh, one of the executives at Paramount, I think it was, mm. basically said, like, oh, we need to... We, no one knows what this is if we call it Jessica. 
And so they they changed the title. I don't know. That's I what think, it was based on. <laughs> I think okay, the title. Yeah, they 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 decided that it because it was originally just going to be called Jessica, and they said that wasn't going to be commercially viable. So they decided to change it to Let Scare Jessica to Death. I think the film would would. I don't know how much it matters the titling, but I would much prefer if this film was called just Jessica. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's kind of like. I've brought this up before, but it's like, and you said, you accused me of being irrelevant, but like, I really like the band TV on the radio, but what a dumb name. Hey, I, I do think it is. Well, I don't know. Band, band names, stupid band names don't bother me so much. Oh, they bother me. Because the there's not a story me. behind it. It's just like a series of words. Whereas I think like the title of a film means something more because it's trying to like reflect something of the story. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, so I, uh, as this has happened, um, so many times in this podcast that one I can think of that I felt most embarrassed about was probably Don't Look Up. But I was um, crediting the filmmakers with more cleverness than they deserved on this one, I feel. <laughs> I was wondering, who's saying let's scare Jessica to death? Oh, it's a play on paranoia. <laughs> uh, but no, apparently not. Uh, anyway, on, it's a play on trying to make money, yo. Besides the silly title, what did you think? Well, I wasn't really sure what to expect from this film. I, the title gave me expectations of of, of something more exploitation or grindhousey than the quiet, meditative piece that we ended up watching. It is a piece, isn't it? It's, it's a, a piece. piece. Yeah, yeah, it is there's a piece. Some, uh, there's some amazing shots. One that sticks out is the pan up as the ferry is crossing the river. Do you remember that? It's like Yes, this, I do. Yeah, it's like focusing on like part of the ferry and then it just sort of pulls up. It's... There's a lot of like interesting shots like that. I it's love a the sound film. design. I love the sound design in the film too. There's like a constant synth, which is very effective and creates yeah. a really disconcerting atmosphere. And all the whispering in Jessica's head as well is great. I okay. think that's what this film is all about, really. Atmosphere, first and foremost. I'll tell you what is so my setup when I watch films on my TV downstairs, if people are in bed upstairs, is I, I have these big old noise cancelers on. Um, Bluetooth and uh, I watch uh, I, I tune in and watch it that way and particularly with horror films like it doubles the effect it makes things yeah. scarier this I switched back to regular sound it was too scary it's <laughs> like the sound design I found really spooky in a good way no that's I, I funny like that. I, I didn't find this film scary at all but I really enjoyed like I liked it um, mm. but the, there was nothing scary here I watch and and I like I'm fully on board with what you say about horror, especially like I've got the projector, um, so obviously it's in a dark room. I've got headphones on and mm. I've, I crank the volume up for horror. I want it as loud as possible, basically. I want it to be like oh, almost hurting my ears at times, because I think that's like I think I think horror is audio. We've talked about this before, definitely on previous films, but like I think mm. I think. I think the sound is more of an aspect of horror than it is of any other genre, probably. So, yeah, yeah, I cranked the volume up on this one. Um, I would say the only downsides for this one for me, some of the performances are a bit amateurish in, uh, amateurish in places. And some yeah. of the effects, like the scars on people's necks, obviously look a bit silly. Mm. But uh, overall, it had much more depth than I was expecting. Uh, I saw yeah, someone... Yeah, go ahead. Go on. Speak. No, I was just going to say, I saw someone describe Zora Lampert's uh, performance as one of the most eccentric captured on film, and I'd definitely go along with that. I hadn't seen her in anything before, so I couldn't decide if she was great or terrible. She's just she's like, the, con she's, Jessica, she's constant. Right? Yeah, she's constantly smiling, which is really. 
No, I thought she was. I think unsettling. I think she's kind of so good that uh, yeah, kind of reveals the other cast members a little bit. Um, Mm, Yeah, but the amount that they do with clearly limited resources here is, I mean, fairly impressive. I would say. One thing costs two hundred and fifty thousand. One one thing that kind of blew me away is they really pulled off what is normally a literary device in this, which is the unreliable narrator, um, because you don't know whether to believe Jessica or not. And they keep jumping back and forth. At least that was the way with me. I I, I can't speak for you, obviously. But you're there. Like there's a wonderful moment um, earlier in it. I thought it was great when um, she sees for a second somebody sitting on the rocking chair as they're going in. And uh, then in her mind, not in a panicked way, but in the sort of deadpan tone that people actually speak to themselves with, she says, don't say anything. They won't believe you uh, like that. And just those. And then sometimes they see what's what she sees and sometimes they don't. And it's hard to tell what's real and what isn't. And yeah, I, I, I just think very refreshing and very cool to see that pulled off well. I don't know. I, I never at any point really questioned that what she was seeing wasn't real. I mean, I know that she's just been let out of a mm. let out of like a the kind of mental asylum type place. You've got, plot is very thin on the ground in this film. I mean, that was some of the criticism of the time was that um, it was like atmosphere over plot, which I was totally on board with. Yeah, me too. But I never really got the sense that she was going crazy. I. For some reason, I, I guess, I guess I just fully believe all women. So there's that. <laughs> there's, I'd say this was a huge influence on Hereditary in, in I, two I was... very revealing ways. I think the uh, Tony Collette character from that is very much shaped around um, this similar thing with uh, Jessica. She's kind of resisting something that's trying to point out to people that something's going on, and a lot of people are, are like aren't believing her or taking it on board it's she's the only one who can see it really and then the other one in the finale when all the old people of the town are revealed to sort of be in this odd collaboration like the end of her have you seen hereditary i've this is a i need to go back and watch it. i've talked about this before but i watched it like hungover and i uh, like or drunk i can't remember which like I, it's I, a heavy one. There's 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 a lot of moments, spoilers for that film, but they're like the kid getting hit by the sticking her head out of the window, mm. getting hit by the pole, and then the whole kind of Paimon thing in the treehouse at the end. Like I've mm. seen, I, I all the images are that's stark what I'm referring in my to. Mind, yeah, yeah. But like I need to sit down and watch the film. I haven't seen any of his other films, Ari Aster, actually. So um, I was actually th- I I was because um, I like you have gotten quite into Letterbox, and I was having a look at uh, the. IndieWire's list of the best films of the year and they have Bo is Afraid on there so I'm tempted. Yeah. You know, I, I know I'll fucking oh. hate it. I will fucking hate it. Why I am I doing know. this? I don't know. It might be right. I I've felt seen like this... Midsummer twice and didn't like it either time. I just wanted to <laughs> prove to myself that I didn't like it. I was just going to say, I think this film, I like, I'm guessing that Mike Flanagan's a big fan of this just because this is based on Turn of the Screw and Haunting of Hill House which were yeah. both things that he turned into series. And also some of the Im- some of the imagery surrounding Emily coming out of the lake is very reminiscent of like haunting a blind manor. I don't know if you yeah. ever finished that, did you? No, I didn't. I'm meaning, I, to. I'm I, meaning to. I actually really liked the end of that. I think a lot of people sort of shit on it at the time and went like, eh, it's not as good as Hill House. But I, yeah, I was, I, I, now looking back on it, I actually really like that series. Did you ever finish uh, Usher? 
Yeah, I did. I don't. I don't think I mentioned. Did I talk about it? No, yeah, I finished didn't. it. Um, I liked it. I think they did stick the landing. I feel like there's a bit of a sort of popular pushback. Excuse me. Against like I feel like um people against have the kind Flanimal. of yeah people have kind of turned on Flanagan a bit and gone like all right maybe you shouldn't be maybe you shouldn't have made so many Netflix series and so like maybe you shouldn't have churned something out every year mm. and so I've seen a few people arguing that like Fall of the House of Usher's slightly disposable but i mean i certainly enjoyed it i thought i've only watched the first episode and i was very very i just had a very busy couple of weeks right uh, so i'm finishing i'm finishing off the shield right now i'm nearly done with that and then i'm gonna go back and rewatch that but I, I watched the first two episodes of usher and there's a moment in the first episode that is one of the scariest fucking things i've ever seen there aren't it lots really, of good scares throughout like it um, really shocked and disturbed me you know when he looks into the limousine and sees the odd jester thing yeah that scared the fucking bejesus out of me. So I mean, no, I all, still, all of that comes I back as well. But love like, for the flanimal, all he's doing something great right. next. What's up next? He's doing a King adaptation. Stephen King is also a big fan. He's of doing that. Let's scare Jessica to death. He's doing the Dark Tower. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is he doing it as a se- as a series? He can't he's doing, doing it as a series film. with movies. And Amazon are finally throwing all the buckets of money at the right person. Fair play. Because. They have just inexhaustible supplies, but just shit creatives who make well, shit things. Amazon are also doing Fallout, though. Have you seen that? That looks really interesting. Yeah, that trailer. Yeah, I yeah. watched it this they week. That it looks to, really uh, interesting. Old Nolan, Jonathan Nolan's. That's right. Yeah. With yeah, Walton yeah. Goggins. Did you finish up? We're getting very sidetracked. Did you know, ever finish know, off Westworld? Even no, though it got cancelled. No, no. No, no pr- okay. mainly because That's not it got cancelled. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I yeah, finished to the end of season three, and the cancellation was enough for me to go. The thing that always annoyed me about that, and I'm sure I've talked about it before, was that. Jonathan Nolan and uh, Lisa Joy both mm. had they from the very start they said there's a five season arc and the fact mm. they got caught at the end of four seasons is just is very annoying. It is very annoying. So I would agree so with that. I'm sort of done with that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, oh God, I'm, I'm gonna do one more deviation. Okay, Did you see on. her movie uh, Reminiscence? No, because it's I heard really it was good. Is it? I really enjoy. I, I heard it was shit. I think people shout on that. It's it's a, it's not an easy movie, like, but it, I think it's. They're smart people. I would I would argue that like in terms of coming up with concepts, they're probably more unforgiving than his brother, Christopher Nolan, who kind of, you know, he'll dumb things down a little bit. I don't think Jonathan Nolan is interested in dumbing anything well, down. As, I, as I've said before multiple times on this podcast, season three to five of, of Person, Person of, interest. of Interest is genuinely one, is the best take on AI, on the dangers uh, of AI. I must watch this. Ever because I respect the problem your is you have so to, goddamn much. The problem is you have to get through all the sort of villain of the week first two seasons, which are some of them are good and some of them are bad, but they're a bit cheesy because it's like network TV and it's twenty four uh, episodes a season. So and you it's, know, it's hefty. Um, you t- you know, I'm too much of a definitely definitely boy to uh, not watch the first couple. of You seasons. know, you'd have to, you would have mm. to, because there's a lot of background. But then you're also watching Jim Caviezel be mental, which is good and bad, because at least you, I mean that's you know all shtick. the background <laughs> stories about it. Anyway, yeah, we yeah, are yeah. way off of Let's Scare Jessica. Yeah, to what death, the fuck yeah. happens in Let's Scare Jessica to death? Jessica, Jessica has been released from a mental institution to the care of her husband Duncan, who's given up his job as string bassist for the New York Philharmonic. Is that all said? Is that all said in the script? I don't. I'm taking this as the yeah, old, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah, write we this about plot that. synopsis. I've just made. I've adapted this plot synopsis in key places, but like I didn't. I obviously he, he has his base, but mm. and uh, yeah, I didn't. I'm really all about that base. About that base. Yeah, no yeah. treble. No, forget the treble, but bro. So 
They purchased a rundown farmhouse outside of the city. When Jessica Duncan and their friend Ben Stiller as the care home worker in Happy Gilmore arrive, <laughs> I'm going to be referring to him as Ben Stiller for the rest. Who's horny the, for everyone. Check out the name tag, Grandma. You're in my world now. <laughs> They're surprised to find a mysterious drifter, Emily, already living there. When She's Emily's, scary. She's got a scary face. She's an evil hippie. She does. She reminds me of someone like Jennifer Jason Lee or someone like that. Like, uh, just, I can't believe I'm going to say this on here. She reminds me of a lady with whom I once laid. I'm who, not, she does look Irish, in fairness. Maybe it's uh, the wouldn't wouldn't stop sending me odd messages, and I had to block her. And then she came to my place of work. It's a true story. And did it turn out she was a vampire? No, she was a hot fucking piece of ass. No, 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 no. I, as a matter of fact, you know what? Like this, all of this happened maybe ten years ago, ten weeks ago. And I got like she she one day in Barcelona, maybe two or three years ago. I woke up with like a spate of long ass text messages from the lady. <laughs> oh. So she clearly had some kind of breakdown. I went block. So who knows what happened to her? Well, I'll just wait for that old time bomb to explode. When Emily <laughs> offers to move on, Jessica invites her to dine with them and stay the night. Uh, the following day... Are they Jessica... swingers? They seem a bit swingy. It's 1971. I mean, a lot of the background of this film, yeah, yeah. a lot of the reading of it is that it's post the hippie thing. Like yeah. it's kind of commenting on the end of that. So I just think they're of the time. Clearly they were in New York or wherever and now they're I mean, out in the countryside. So clearly the, and, the, and they're the artists, boys. so they have their own yeah, ideas. Yeah. yeah, that is weird though, that their couple travels with the, a, guy, the two boys... a guy who works in a care home in the mid-90s. <laughs> I mean, the two boys are still knee-deep in taking advantage of the sexual revolution for their own ends, you know, as men did never back ends, in the day. Exactly, but that how's it, never how's it, uh, how's it Matt McCusker put it in one podcast? He, he, he said, uh, everybody, everybody was uh, acting like it was a revolution, but really it was just a good argument so hippies could bully their girlfriends into threesomes. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The following day, Jessica, seeing how attracted Ben Stiller is to Emily, asks Duncan to invite her to stay indefinitely. Yeah, he's very horny. He is. It's fair. Jessica begins hearing voices and sees a mysterious young blonde woman looking at her from a distance before disappearing. Who Woody also gets horny for later. Yeah, yeah, Woody, that's the name of Ben Stiller, mm. but he will be referred to as Ben Stiller throughout. That's fair. Later, Jessica is grabbed by someone under the water in the cove while she's swimming. Spooky. I really like that. I I think mm. they that is a great. It's, however, like you see some, you see like a few shots of that throughout the film, of a mm. person just under the water, just under the surface, yeah, and they yeah, never yeah. actually come up. It's really creepy. The notion that they're like under the that that they live under the water there. It's a creepy movie. Jessica's afraid to talk about these things with Duncan or Ben Stiller for fear that they will think she's relapsing. She also becomes aware that Duncan seems to be attracted to Emily and that the men in the nearby town, all of whom are bandaged in some way, are hostile towards them. Yeah, yeah, they're very folk horror country people. They just don't like artists. They don't like uh, guys fair. from the Philharmonic. Coming out, making the, like, like, uh, making Raising the rent property go higher. Prices, yeah, yeah exactly. What are you doing, guys? Duncan and Jessica decide to sell antiques found in the house at a local shop one of which is a silver-framed portrait of the house's former owners, the Bishop family, father, mother, and daughter Abigail. At this point, eagle-eyed viewers, only the most eagle-eyed of viewers, may be able to spot a familiar face in the photo. Is this in your synopsis? Yes. Is yeah. that on Wikipedia? No. Right. I, I added, I told you, I made some adaptations. Okay. I mean, that is, is mental 
looking at the do you think in 1971 the quality of screening meant that it was blurry and you couldn't see that it's That's clearly possible. the same person in the photo no no like you we're Emily supposed is to clearly see in the photo we're supposed it's so to see obvious, it. so in your face obviously yeah, it's yeah. like they should have you know nowadays that would be a little more hidden and not yeah, so yeah. overt because it's it's, it's maybe crazy, a bit more right? blurry yeah maybe you know put some vaseline on the lens the antique dealer sam dorker tells them the story of how abigail drowned in 1880 just before her wedding day legend claims that she is still alive roving the island as a vampire Ooh. he's the only person who says vampire i think he's the only person who refers yeah. to this as a vampire thing which i like that because it is yeah. considered a vampire movie it's considered a bit of a classic in that genre actually which is also comes back to Flanman again because Midnight Mass. Yeah, nobody mentions um, yeah. vampires yeah. And that, at that's all, actually, and that is to his credit. I didn't make that connection, but the other good thing about these is they're all they're slightly uh, alternative um, mythologies to the you know Bela Lugosi ma 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 kind of yeah, bollocks, you yeah, know? yeah. Which is good because it's it's nice when you reject all of the like crosses and stuff like that You're like all right man. indeed yeah yeah just there's actually there's a very way. um there's a, um, a, a sci-fi book i read years ago whereby um what was it a, a, vampires were aliens from another planet hmm. um and the like the thing about crosses was actually i can't it was a very complicated book but it was some sort of an aversion to that kind of angle or something it was like an intense allergy to, to a certain type of geometry based on the kind of Fair play. Planet they came from. Yeah, yeah, it was complicated, but it was interesting. Jessica finds the story fascinating, but Duncan, afraid that hearing about such things will upset his wife, cuts Dorker short. Later, as Jessica prepares to make a headstone rubbing on Abigail Bishop's grave, she notices the blonde woman beckoning her to follow. The mm. woman leads Jessica to a cliff. One thing about this lady, who's like, you know, the warning signal for the film that something's going on, always in her nighty, and it do the weather does not look good. The lady needs to put on some clothes. So she has been, she already been bitten? What's her deal? No, she's not. She's Why trying she to got warn a thing her? around her neck then? She's always got like a scarf around her neck. The whole well, time. she's trying so to warn just her. Just keep her warm. I don't know. Yeah, I know she's trying to warm her, but warn her, but like it's just, I don't know. That character doesn't, like, where's she from? What's she doing? What's going on? I know we're, that's thing. fine. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to know that. The woman leads Jessica to a cliff at the bottom of which lies Dorker's bloodied body. By the time Jessica finds Duncan, however, the body is gone. Jessica mm -hmm. and Duncan spot the woman standing on the cliff above them, causing Duncan to give chase. When the woman is caught and questioned by the couple, she remains silent and quickly flees when Emily approaches. Coward. What a coward. That night, Duncan tells Jessica that she needs to return to New York to resume her psychiatric treatment. Jessica forces him to sleep on the couch where he is seduced by Emily. Yeah. Mm. The next bitch. day, Jessica finds the portrait of the Bishop family, which she and Duncan had sold to Dorker the previous day, back in the attic. It's back in the attic, I'm saying. That's the portrait. It's mm. back in the attic. She observes that Abigail Bishop, as seen on the photo, bears a striking resemblance to Emily. Okay, here's a kind of a weird bit, maybe. Jessica agrees to go with Emily to swim in the cove. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, and she tries to drown her. But is that like a... Are you reading that where she agrees to go is like... Because we hear the whispering voice in Jessica's head. Is it one of those things where she's being, I don't know, not like tricked into it or like enticed into it? Well, I think we can take from the ending 
uh, that whatever species of vampire this lady is has certain powers of persuasion over people. Because that's in vampire mythology throughout the ages that they can get people to do things. Let's so I swimming. think that's what you're seeing there. Yeah. While swimming, Emily vanishes from sight. Jessica hears Emily's voice in her head and watches as Emily emerges from the lake in a wedding gown, which mm, is a great that's image. A, that's a creepy shot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Walking out of the lake wearing the wedding dress. That's the part I was saying that feels very Bly Manor. Mm. Feels like the flam man might have taken a bit from that. The old flam Emily attempts to bite her neck, but Jessica flees, locking herself in her bedroom in the house. Hours pass, and Jessica leaves to hitch a ride into town. Ben Stiller, who's been working in the orchard, returns to the house where Emily bites his neck. Oh my god. When Jessica gets into town, she sees Duncan's car and asks about his whereabouts, but no one will speak to her. She then encounters Sam Dorker and, terrified, runs back to the house because he's all vampire zombified. Hmm. She collapses in the orchard, and late, the orchard and later is found by Duncan, who takes her home. In their bedroom, the couple go to lie down. Jessica notices a cut on Duncan's neck, and Emily then enters the room brandishing a knife with the townsman following behind her. Yeah, 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 all the creepy guys coming into the room. Jessica flees the house, knocking over Duncan's base case, base case, which contains the corpse of the mute blonde woman who was trying to warn her before. Jessica uh, yeah, runs. This is when it gets very uh, final girl slasher yeah. finale. Yeah, yeah. But I like the, this whole oh, this me too. Last sequence. Jessica runs through the orchard and comes across Ben Stiller's corpse. I love that. Slashed. That's I don't a know, class I reveal. Him, I mean, he's on like the tractor, tractor thing going through the orchard, but I don't know the way he's lying back. He's lying with his head back. I don't know. It looked a bit silly. I uh, know. I would. I'm talking about when she's pursuing the tractor through the fertilizer. Yeah, that's no, that's good. Ever. That's good yeah. until she finds him. I agree. At daybreak, Jessica makes it to the ferry and tries to board. <laughs> but the ferryman is like, nah. <laughs> yeah, not nah, you. I can't take you. But he doesn't do anything. He's like, he's also got a scar on his neck. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't try to turn her into a vampire. He's just like, no, you can't use the ferry. And she's like, okay. So she jumps into a nearby rowboat and paddles out into the lake. When a hand reaches into the boat from the water, she stabs the person in the back several times with a pole hook. As the body floats away, Jessica sees that it's Duncan. I mean... Her husband. Uh, yeah, but he'd yeah, already exactly. turned into like one of those vampire things. Exactly. Like, we but calling them in... vampires? I mean, it's something else. They're vampires. Uh, it's, it's a vampire Fine. movie. Fine, but like, can you kill a vampire by stabbing them with a pole hook from a boat? These a vampires, point. I guess. From the shore, Emily and the townsman watch her all creepily. All creepy-like. Mm. The end. All creepy like. Were you pur purposefully uh, evoking Alex the Strange there? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? All all creepy like proper horror show. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, I quite enjoyed this. I uh, thought it was uh, creepy, fun to I don't know. Just uh, here he goes. He's gonna say it. They don't make movies like this anymore. But they don't. This is uh yeah. Although you know better than me. For the year that this was made. It, did it have a decent budget, or is this a nothing budget even? Two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's not much, right? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that was cheap. That's still right. very cheap. Under a million, definitely. That's got to be super cheap, even then. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it is impressive what they do with so little. I mean, I'm assuming this was acquired by Paramount. I think it was independent, and then Paramount bought it and put it out. Mm. Is there is anything interesting to say thousand. about anybody who's in it? Very little. Just Zora Lampert, who played oh, That's Jessica. disappointing. It's the only one with anything interesting about her, to be honest. You know, as we've often discussed, you know. I know. Normally you Back get in the day, you, you can, the older the movie, you know, actors were more interesting people, it turns out. 
Well, apart from that, the the director, John Hancock, this was his feature debut. Hancock was mainly a theater director before this, and he mm. worked multiple times with Tennessee Williams. Wow. He was a big fan of his. They they got on really well, and uh, yeah, they had a good relationship. Hancock went on after this to do Bang the Drum Slowly with uh, Robert De Niro in 1973. That's about like baseball or American football and it's like or maybe baseball and it's the the relationship between two players and one of them's got a terminal illness okay and that was in 73 uh, before Hancock was unceremoniously fired from Jaws 2 in 1978 after a studio dispute it's a different film Ted it's a it's a different shark wow yeah he had he had some argument about the mom going out on a boat and saving the kids I, That's I what vaguely, I, I can't remember what they are. I can't remember who wanted what. Mm. what I, my memory of Jaws 2 is that, I mean, I remember them. They're, they're quite isolated. The kids all go away and they're all isolated. And does, doesn't the yeah. shark bite through like a big cable? Well, that's how it dies in the end. It gets electrocuted that way. It's a terrible, terrible death. Most of the film is actually okay. Um, oh, it gets it gets shit on a lot, but I mean, it's just fun to have Roy Scheider back doing shark hunting. It's obviously nowhere near as good as Jaws, but... Yeah, so and the only near as bad as Jaws three. Yeah, fair. So the only cast member to mention is Zora Lamper to play Jessica. She was born in 1937 in Manhattan. Uh, Zora Lamper is the daughter. She's at, she's uh, still living. She's still with yeah. us. Zora Lamper still she's working in the room right now. I don't know about that. I think uh, roles may have dried up. Zora mm. Lamper is the daughter of Russian Jewish immigrants. Don't do the Russian joke. In the 50s, she went to college in Chicago, and she was a member of Second City. Yes, and. Fair. So that's why, because as I say, while, while watching it, I was kind of like, is she like a legit actress or not? But yeah, she's for, she fully improved. She was a full yes-ander. And in 1961, she starred opposite a young Warren Beatty in Splendor in the Grass. Uh, I watched a scene of them together on YouTube. She's very good, and he's very young and handsome. She was probably in her early 20s at the time as well. In he shagged her? He probably shagged her. One million percent. There's zero doubt in my mind. Because she was a very, uh, very nice-looking young lady as well. In mm. 1977, she appeared in the John Cassavetes film Opening Night, which looks very good. I have never seen a Opening Night, but I bet it is good. Nor I. It's, it is about an actress who... I know, I know what it's about, yeah, yeah. There's something else references it. Something else, I can't remember. I was reading a little bit, or maybe it's like um, All About My Mother or something like that. I can't remember some one of one of his films. Um, maybe, because there's a theatre uh, production of um, Streetcar Named Desire that uh, All About My Mother is actually centra- centred around. Maybe. Anyway, her last role of any real note was as Mary Kinderman in The Exorcist 3, which I... I, I've seen bits of Exorcist 3. I haven't seen the whole thing, but I think she's... Mm. Um, George C. Scott's wife, maybe. I haven't seen any of the Exorcist sequels. You you must have seen that scene from Exorcist Three, you know, the famous one, the famous killing of the nurse. It's like the scary, I don't think the I have. really really scary scene where the Gemini killer kills a nurse. You never seen that just on its own? No, I don't it's, think so. It's always put forth as like one of the scariest scenes from any film. Hmm. Well, Is we almost watching? ended up. Yeah, well, we almost ended up with Exorcist Three. I was considering putting that up. For, I was going to put that as like as one of the options. Mm. But we got Boogeyman instead. Indeed we did. Boogeyman. Maybe we should talk about the Boogeyman. Boogie, the you want to talk man. about the Boogeyman? Yeah. Okay, so compared to Let's Scare Jessica to Death, I would say the Boogeyman is horror by numbers and 
Not in a good way. I wasn't a big fan of this um, for a number of reasons. There's things to like, which I'll name, but mostly things to go. Ugh. It's just a disappointment and kind of a waste because there's so many good things to it, but they don't come together. I think the script and the tone are particular problems, but like host so rob savage director of this director of boogeyman i mean he he made host we were both big fans of that i think that's a genuinely great yeah. film very inventive very fun very scary i imagine i don't know i i imagine this was a big opportunity for him and so he took it obviously because host did very well globally and people have been trying to adapt this short story for ever so this is um have you ever read this short story no, but it more it focuses on um, the Lester character, right? Indeed, yeah. So the short story is fantastic. It's one of the, it's it's genuinely it lives up to all the hype. It's supposed to be one of the scariest things ever, and it is just creepy the way it's presented. So it's but it's just the uh, the Dasmalchen scene, uh, the Lester Benning scene, um, and at the end you're not actually sure if the boogeyman is real or if this guy is mad and he's just killed his family so he's talking to the psychiatrist and then he goes he he tells the story um, similarly enough then he goes out to make another appointment with the nurse when he comes back in he sees that the psychiatrist was just the boogeyman in disguise this weird nice. creature thing Respect. right so that so that's the, that's the story the, the Stephen King story it's been adapted into short films on two occasions I think now, to stretch that story over a, uh, another brief metaphor in Hollywood is not only, I think, a bit inappropriate, but I think it's also dull as fuck. For me, the performances are all good, save Mar Marin Ireland, who plays um, Rita, but that's also the worst fucking character in the movie, Bennings' wife. So, whatever. Oh, yeah, um, no, no, yeah, great, great. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like everybody's kind of hit with a similar issue in this. It's, they're working so hard to be serious and believable and doing well at that. But with paper thin characters, if the characters are going to be this shallow, the film needs to have more fun with them. And there's a glimpse of a more fun movie with, I mean, with David Dasmalchen, who's always good and always, he's, he's just a bizarre he's looking fucker. Creepiest looking person outside mm. of the guy from uh the end of Gerald's game he's probably he's up there as like yeah 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 one yeah. of the creepiest guys who makes every film better but you should yeah yeah and like you should like in prison sort of have man. have a, have a bit of fun with them um well like they don't or Maddie Nichols as the bully character Abby that's kind of a from from a more fun movie but the movie's so dour that she's more evil than fun I did I did think that you would like that character but yeah the problem is the worst that happens to her is she gets a slap in the face like I mean in another yeah, film she, she would get you know get a bloody death yeah yeah she would die yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, there are some fun devices. Uh, the movie bully I mentioned, the tooth thing, the light ball that rolls down the hallways. But they, for me, get like drowned out in all the dour. Um, also, I think it's a great case for the notion that practical effects are simply superior in horror films that they, they could have been used here to much better effect. Script massively wanting dialogue. The, like when the father says to her as when she says that the monster is real she saw something in the closet and the father says have you been smoking weed it's yeah, like come not on it's not good agreed agreed yeah i thought i uh, yeah as I'm, i i thought this was kind of pants i had been looking forward to it love uh, the other rob savage film i've seen love the short story 
but no, come on, guys, have a bit of fun and stop with the fucking grief metaphors. I'm tired <laughs> of this with fucking horror movies. Well, how much of what I said do you agree with? Pretty much, uh, pretty much the whole thing. Maybe I'm slightly more positive than you. I mean, I really liked uh, Host, as you mentioned. Mm. Dashcam is fine. It's insane. It's Annie Hardy, this all right figure driving around rapping in her car, and it matches a few kind of different premises. Uh, or the the premise matches like a few different genres together at the same time. And it, it works fine. And uh, even though I liked Savage's previous films, I skipped Boogeyman of the Cinema due to the fairly lukewarm refuse it was receiving. And mm. most of the criticism that I've seen online is that it's squarely middle of the road. It doesn't do anything new and is pretty forgettable. And yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that's I'd, have about to, right. I'd, I'd have to go along with that. However, that being said, like I said about uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, I had this on the projector, headphones, volume up max. And there were some, like, I definitely, I find there this There are good quite, scares. I find this scary. Yeah, yeah. The problem is that it's just, the characters are paper thin, and it doesn't stand up to, to any scrutiny whatsoever. If you think about any scene yeah. or any th- interaction or anything after the film, you're like, oh, no, wait a minute, that was shy, wasn't it? But at the time, the like what Savage is good at is definitely sort of harnessing jump scares and creating like a spooky atmosphere. There's one. That's one of the one, things he's good at. But he's also very good at having fun with his movies. Well, yeah, normally and that's missing here. There, there's one very good jump scare here where when she's lying on her bed or she gets up to check the door and there's like a you know you know what I'm talking about the really fast jump scare where it like comes through the door. Mm. And like, I think is where she ends up with the tooth, like swallowing the tooth. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's like around that time. There's like this, there's there's one jump scare that comes out of nowhere, which is it does feel a bit more like his other films. But yeah, ultimately, I would have used a lot more of uh, the Lester Billings character and way less of the Rita Billings character, because mm. when the ex-wife turns up, it shifts into action movie mode, and the di- that some of the dialogue is awful, and everything around that you know everything around having all the candles set up inside this oh i hated that i mean what are you doing here and then again is like there's a whole sort of like if it bleeds we can kill it type thing that Mm. like logically again doesn't it just doesn't hold up to any scrutiny whatsoever no it doesn't it's the sort of thing that it's like ah somebody like i I don't know i say it like it's a like i could fucking do it i'm not saying that i'm just saying it's like People would say, ah, yeah, but it's a simple pre- premise. What are you going to do? People have done great things with simple premises before. Look at, like, David Cronenberg, back in his day, I'd say could do something really special with something like this. Like, just invest in the characters a little more. Just, like, like, oh, my God, she's a sad lady who goes around listening to music because her mother died, like, with the fucking paintings. And <laughs> it's just, like... Come oh, on. Yeah. Wait, some something I something else about this film is it costs thirty-five million dollars. That is that is criminal. Like that is Mm-mm. theft. That yeah, is yeah, fraud. Yeah. Something fraudulent has gone on there. Or someone else. I mean, how much does it cost to pay for, you know, Sophie Thatcher or Chris Messina? If someone's getting ten million dollars in there, then it's this is something insane is happening. I would uh, I made a point about practical effects. Do you think practical effects could have done something for this movie? Because there's glimpses near the end in the final scene where you see the monsters face up close and it looks a bit 
more physical. Tactile. It looks a lot more like host or something like that, like seeing yeah, yeah. the hand coming out of its mouth and things like that. But and it's more it's more effective. And I just think it's like like okay, fair enough. They can do CGI nowadays. But look at the you know what you know the transformation in American Werewolf in London, for example, that still holds up. Yeah. That looks like, and I'm sure it was very difficult to film. I'm, I know it was. I've watched the documentary. It was very difficult for them to figure out how to do that. But they put in the work and it's just a legendary sequence. And the thing is, there's so much darkness in this film that you could take advantage of that to pull off some really good physical effects. And they go, they opt not to do it. And I think that's a major lost opportunity. I but think then this there's film- also... I love the criticism is like we see too much of the monster anyway, so they could scale that back probably. If it was physical effects, you're able to play in that zone. But once mm. it's computer generated, it like this. I've I've used this example so so much, but just listen to Quentin Tarantino talking about the uh, parachute jump at the start of Moonraker in his podcast. I think it was last year. He says it is like you know those are both stuntmen, but because you know that stuntmen jumped out of a plane to do this fight it does something more for you than the CGI version of a wood. And it's just like the difference between, forget about the script or whatever, the alien, which is clearly a man in a rubber suit in Alien 1 versus the alien that you see doing everything in Alien Covenant. It's just more effective. It doesn't matter how good it looks. And I think considering the amount of darkness that this was set in anyway, they could have worked something like that. And do you know what? There's good physical effects in... um, Host, for example. Yeah, they, because all the actors were movie. doing their own because it was filmed during mm. lockdown. They couldn't, couldn't even get anyone into their house. They had to do it themselves. Anyway, we're lucky enough to... I'll run through the plot for you yeah. quick. But they, uh, just uh, to say, this film made like over 80 million, so at least it was a success. I, I think. I mean, I think good for Savage that he'll get the, hopefully get the opportunity to do other stuff. I, don't, I hope this sort of middle of the road nature of this doesn't doesn't hurt him going forward but ultimately i think money is the money is king and this was going to go to streaming but they uh, mm. they decided uh, i think it was fox they decided to put it out to be fair i've after complaining a bunch right but the same is true with this as with 90% of horror movies i'm complaining i had issues but when i watch horror movies i have fun i enjoy horror movies i enjoyed this like like I'm, I was complaining about it throughout, but I also knew that there were scares coming up, and I enjoy scares. So you know, films like this, they make money. It's good. It is good because you know, like something is going to make money, basically. And this keeps people going to the cinema, which I like also. Anyway, oh god, I could read the synopsis of the plot, right? Like it's just so therapist has recently lost his wife, has two daughters. Dalmatian or uh, Lester Billings, who's this guy who's lost all his family, comes in. And says, yeah, my first kid died and then the other ones were killed by this monster and everybody thinks that I did it. The short story, that's the whole short story, basically. Um, he goes into de- uh, details. I think it would. Uh, I want to watch, actually, the short film versions of it, see how they handle that. But basically, the therapist played by Will Harper. Uh, by the way, I should say ahead of time, there'll be no the going ther- through cast. Therapist played by Chris Messina. By, oh, yeah, sorry. Will Har- is his name. Sorry. Played by Chris Messina. Uh, there's nothing interesting about any of these cast members. They're there all is just about, actors. There is about David Desmalky, and he's a former heroin addict. He's actually really, uh, like I've heard him on a few different podcasts. He's really fun. He's nothing like the creeps that he usually uh, plays. I know film. he's really fun. Where did you find that? Is that on his Wikipedia? Because, probably. I don't know if it is or isn't, just because I've heard him on a bunch of podcasts talk about it. He actually, he did direct a film about his uh, his some of his problems. 
What was the film called? Oh, he actually is interesting. Okay, I'll be going through that. Uh, just cut it, cut out that which I just said about this the the cast. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not cutting it out. I'm leaving it. Yeah, Animals. I think it was called. There's he, there's a film that he made about his uh, experiences with heroin addiction. All right. So anyway, he comes in, tells his story. The like therapist Chris Messina. He kicks him out because he's like this guy's crazy. Well, he doesn't kick him out. He calls the cops. But then your man wanders around the house destroys the dead mother's studio and hangs himself in the closet. And the and uh, that morning, his daughter has worn her mother's old dress to school, <laughs> finds uh, a lunch. So she's clearly oh, going back to school after a while. She's been out for a while and she finds a lunch with a note from her mom that's gone all moldy in her locker, which is a nice device, fair enough. But then uh, her friend who's a cunt comes along and starts, uh, you know, going, yeah, you shouldn't cling on to the past or you need to get over that. Spills the moldy lunch all over the dress. So she I've, ends I've, up going. I've seen a lot of comments about that bully character from like, you know, younger people saying no one's that mean anymore. Like kids are kids are not that kids don't bully like that. And they're not that mean these days. This is another case of just. Yeah, this is yeah, for this us. Is, this is, yeah, exactly. It's not yeah. it's not for. It's not reflective it's, of the it's, younger it's not, it's not for like Gen Z at all. Actually, do you know what? The, well, I would wonder, is this a film for Gen Z? That, not this, but did you ever see uh, uh, the Bo Burnham film, Eighth Grade? I'm a yeah. huge, big, big fan of that. I think that's that that made me weep for how realistic a depiction it was mm. of being a teenager. Anyway. Well, fair. But, I was just one more thing to say. Fair play to mm. Sophie, Tha- so- Sophie Thatcher. If I, can, if I can say her name, she is in Yellow Jackets, which That's I right, think yeah. that maybe that has more Gen Z crossover. I have no idea. May, it's again, been very. It's just millennials. <laughs> it's been very popular with the fellow kids. Hey, fellow yeah. kids. Hey, fellow kids. Yeah, I've got two. I've got one skateboard over each uh, shoulder and a cap on. Indeed. Anyway, yeah. So she comes home and finds David uh, Dalmatian in the closet. In the closet. Come out just, of the closet, David Dalmatian. No, he's just, hung himself in there. Oh yeah. And Pretty then high. that, yeah, yeah, that's what sort of, uh, and that's the end of the the best character in the in the film. Yes. So then there's a there's a monster following around, following them around the house. Her younger sister Sawyer. It's got a loose tooth, and uh, they go to take the. She's scared of the dark generally as well. She's got this uh, glowing globe she carries around with her that just works as a horror device because this is the, this is also a very dark movie. The whole time, it's always dark. It's always I never dark, noticed. Dark. Like I never. Like, but dark just in terms of you're not talking about it was hard to see anything or anything like that now. Like you didn't no. find it was too dark. No, no, no. Right, okay. You're just saying no, it's no, constantly no. sad night. Okay. Yeah yeah. 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 Fair play. So then, yeah, there's this monster thing following her around. It pushes the door to rip her tooth off. Uh, you know, it's, it's the boogeyman. And basically the boogeyman, like so many Stephen King creations, feeds off people's misery and suffering. And of course, there's the, is it real? Is it not real? Back and forth. Nobody believes the kid. Then eventually Sophie Thatcher believes the kid, but the father doesn't believe Sophie Thatcher. And certain incidents keep happening. So to try and ingratiate her back into a friend's group, it's agreed that they'll come over and uh, hang out uh, at her house, including the bitch bully. And of course, in a very mean move, uh, I. <laughs> so they decide to, they smoke some weed. And then they want to see the closet where Dalmatian hung himself. So she takes them there and they lock her in, which is incredibly mean. Uh, even though the Asian it's friend out of the 1980s, that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though the Asian friend says, no, 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 we just couldn't open it, which seems to be, you know, because the monster was in there or whatever. 
in the meanwhile also she's gone she wants to investigate and see is this real or not so she's been round to Lester Billings old house where his ex-wife uh, his widow is still living in there basically like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind trying to figure out a way to get the boogeyman um it's <laughs> fucking... we can't it can't this is why I said it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny whatsoever it's painful, dumb. She's in bit. there like fucking Linda Hamilton or something. She looks like she's hunting Terminators. Oh yeah, it's just terrible. Uh, really, really bad that 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 bit. And then anyway, Sawyer, uh, the little sister, on the same night as the slumber party thing, is playing video games, and then the monster jumps out in, in the dark. She's playing yeah, video games in the dark. She knows there's a is monster. She, yeah, exactly. She's by herself exactly. in the dark playing PlayStation. And then the monster comes and uh, throws. The uh, it throws her at the TV, but this is also the moment that she figures out that the monster is scared of life. Anyway, they're supposed to be with her in the hospital, but Sophie Thatcher, this is fucking dumb. <laughs> this is she's a, like I'm a mentally go take care of this now. A mentally ill woman who has threatened her with a gun before calls her and says, "I've got it figured out. I know how to get the monster. Come help me." So she abandons her sister in the hospital to go and help out this mentalist homeless woman <laughs> who's got too many candles on the floor that are all yeah. burnt down she must just spend all day lighting candles yeah, that's, that's what she does all day long is light candles she's like I know how to get the monster but aha it, th- this is my solution I'm gonna but bop you on the she head also, she also does have a pretty cool setup with all the kind of like tripwires yeah. and guns and stuff like that that's pretty cool she's got a bit of home alone in her yeah, yeah, yeah. a bit of Kevin McAllister so then she, um, yeah, she bops uh, Sophie Thatcher on the head and cable, like um, cable yeah, ties her to, uh, to the wooden frame of the house. And then she's waiting for the monster to come along because the monster just appears. It's Even though it's a physical presence, it can just appear out of the Well, it, the whole thing about the boogeyman is it can travel between, it uses some sort of realm that's in between closets, basically. That's, that's what I read. Well, I spend a lot of time in the closet and I've never I seen know, it. I know, but you never travel between closets. You're just no, staying that's in right. the one closet. Your yeah, closet is metaphorical, him. though. Yes, exactly. It is. Mm. I'm I'm deeply closeted. Yeah, that's why I heard about you. Yeah, and that you I'm... straddle you straddle both sides. No, I'm not gay. Oh, okay. I'm straight as an arrow. You're just deeply closeted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost like uh, Norm Macdonald didn't die on a weekly basis. <laughs> that's, that's what I find. His genius so lives on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just as well you're here to replay every moment. Indeed, indeed I am. Anyway, fucking. Um, yeah, the so the the mental lady's plan doesn't quite work, and she seems to get munched by the monster. But the, so then Sophie Thatcher legs it off, uh, just about escaping, and um, calls her dad, and she's like, "Don't go into the house." But then the monster grabs the dad and <laughs> plans on munching on the dad. Oh, man, but she gets home in time and goes down to. She finds her little sister in the basement with fairy lights because the little sister has figured out that uh, it doesn't like uh, the dark. Now, here's the thing, right? The little sister in the closet with all the fairy lights, there's something very Amblin about that image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like E.T. or something, yeah. And you kind of get it like, or one of one of my favorite horror movies ever. I think it's, I think Pol- Poltergeist, Poltergeist is a masterpiece. I love Poltergeist. I, I'll probably watch that once a year. I think it's mm, just very scary. Great. Very scary, but it's also an Amblin movie. It's a kid's movie, you know, in its own way. Um, But very, very scary. One of my favorite horror movie images of all time is the doll being dragged off the bed because I also think it's a genius move in that script that you think the movie is over and if you're not looking at your watch you and don't realize that there's 20 minutes left you don't realize that you're I need to, to rewatch Poltergeist right? I haven't seen it since I was a kid 
Oh, it's so good. And it was very effective, and it made me not want to watch it again. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's still it's still very scary. scared me. But then that like that that gave me the figure the 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 glimpse into oh there's the film this could have been with a little mm-hmm. bit of lightness of touch physical effects that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, they go down to the basement where it looks like the monster is trying to munch the dad. But no, we figure out a few minutes later that the way the monster munches things is more like the Dementors in Harry Potter, like he sucks their souls out of their mouth or some bullshit like that. Then the, they they do the old Lynx cannon lighter on it for a few minutes and try and burn it. It is Home Alone, um, yeah. and then. She, the the um, Sawyer, the little girl, chucks some petroleum at it and um, they light it on fire and that seems to do the trick. They get rid of the, the boogeyman. And then the dad is finally able to talk about his dead wife. So catharsis, the grief monster has been killed. We're ready to deal with our problems. And then they have their cake and eat it. Fuck off, you giant pile of wank. Anyway, yeah, but the, that's the. I think they're kind of trying to do a nod to the, to the, to the short story with that ending. So... They go back to this therapist that the girls that we've seen them seeing throughout the movie. This therapist also seems to know the dad and she's always on with the dad to deal with his grief, which he hasn't been doing, but now he is. And they're all leaving. They're all happy. But one thing we've learned about the monster throughout the movie is it can mimic people's voices and it calls back to Sophie Thatcher's character, Abby, and she goes back in and she's about to open the closet to investigate. Um, and then the real therapist says, hey, did you forget something? And she's like, no. And then she leaves it. So she's leaving it knowing that the boogeyman is now going to terrorize the the therapist. Is oh. that how you read it? Yeah, yeah. So the boogeyman wasn't killed when they burnt it with no, fire. She, you can't kill the boogeyman. You know, yeah. no, people have tried to kill the boogie in the past, but uh, it will live on. Indeed. Spirit of the 70s remains. Uh, yeah, so this is a bit of a pile of pants, um, kind of. I just think it's, I again, it's like if you over, <laughs> let's not say overanalyze, if you analyze it at all, then yeah, mm-hmm. it's not great. But for me, I enjoyed the experience of watching it. So yeah, I would still give it a three out of five for, yeah, the, I give it three. for the scares that it gave me. It does remind me of another Christmasina three out of five horror film, which is Devil. Did you ever watch that from the mind of M. Night Shyamalan? No, I didn't. That's that's similar. It's another, it's like quite effective horror film that I get if you spend any time thinking about it, you're like, oh no way, that's stupid. But uh, that was the one that when the trailers were in the cinema, it had that line from the mind of M. Night Shyamalan and everyone laughed because it was <laughs> it was prior to his comeback. and So it was from victory. the mind? From his mind, that's what it said. He, he wrote the script. I don't know if he even wrote the script. It was like, it was based on some idea that he wrote down on a cocktail napkin at a party one time yes he gets a story credit here yeah 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 you mentioned a comeback are you referring to like the the visit and split and all of that stuff yeah and then old and uh knock of the cabin or whatever it's called i feel like those have done well we didn't like those though yeah i did i didn't care for old and knock of the cabin loses itself a little better than old but yeah again we watched uh, knock of the cabin for yeah we talked about it alongside the whale and maybe women talking i think very yeah we did yeah yeah indeed <laughs> indeed great trio of films so yeah i wasn't a huge fan of this but sure whatever gets you through the night okay yeah it's i I've, it makes sense skipping it like that i never saw at the cinema however seeing at the cinema would actually be the optimal way apart from getting headphones on it's one mm. of these films where you need to give it I wonder if there are people out there who are not watching horror films the way that they're meant to be seen. Because if you're watching this with the lights on or 
with the volume like imagine if you have yeah. subtitles and, and the volume down low i mean just what's the point just give up yeah 100 percent. wasting 100%. your time indeed uh i remember the, like yeah, one of the more atmospheric watches of a horror movie i ever had is in the school i used to work at back when we were doing a, a pilot for this very podcast we were to watch the exorcist oh and yeah they had a great old sound set up in the school so and i had the keys so i went in on a weekend and um blasted the sound up to maximum and on a big massive screen big massive not big enough like um like a small 40 seat cinema that kind of thing wow. uh watched the exorcist on my own and just this <laughs> the sound in that fit like that's the great yeah. thing is like if you watch if you if you it doesn't matter how many times you've seen it i i think i mentioned mentioning this to you like i think last year i re I rewatched Halloween, a film I've seen many times, but just the headphones and the darkness yeah, uh, and it, it'll spook it you. It does a lot. It does a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, wasn't great on this, but sure, I still love horror movies. Um, and uh, I'm sorry for uh, brushing over David Dalmatian. I'm going to read it quick because I, for some reason, yeah, I did, I've did. i even seen what you're talking about now. It, he does seem like an interesting uh, old fella. So I'm going to run through He's on a quickly. lot. He's on the um, that Stephen King podcast. Uh, he's on a few episodes of that. What's it called? Like mm. King Cast or something like that. I've heard him on that before and I've heard him on a couple of other things. And he is, he's like one of those guys that's, he's very funny and he tells good stories. He's, he's one of those fun actors, but he's also a former heroin addict. So there's probably I follow him on Instagram. intersection there. But hold on. what What's this Stephen King podcast you're talking about? Is it any good? Uh, it's fine. They go, they get, they get quite good guests and they talk about, it's normally the difference between uh, the book and the film. But they hmm. they go and like they they talk about the same properties multiple times because it's based on what the guest wants to talk about. So you'll oh, find that's like, interesting. Yeah, you'll find like multiple episodes about the same book and film combo, and some of them are obviously haven't been filmed, so they're no, just short, a, short I, stories. Or I'm a big Stephen King fan. Generally, I think I might mm. check that out. That, that yeah, could be good. It's worth listening to. Indeed. Um. So yeah, he I, he was also like yeah he was a heroin addict. He was a fisherman. He worked in a seafood restaurant in Kansas City. The end. There you go. There's a probably, a, I can see why heroin <laughs> crept in after some of that. But you know what? I'll, t- I'll say this. It's like, so he has a bit, I mean, we have actors totally figured out because he basically, he's got an interesting face. He the does way people, a, The way people face. used to cast movies. Yeah. So the... Whenever we read um, Wikipedia profiles of the actors that used to be in movies, it was based on that logic. And people with interesting faces, it seems, often had interesting lives. And mm. that's the, it has kind of worked out that way, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure he would say it was interesting, uh, him being a heroin addict. But, uh, I bet well, he would. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure it was like a formative thing. I, like the film he made about it, I, I, like, obviously seems quite bleak animals, but... I mean, it, like, it's certainly more interesting than any of the details you'll discover about Lisa Gay Hamilton or Chris Messina. Yeah. Although, shout the, out the to... The poor man's Patrick Wilson. Well, the only the shout, out, shout out to him was, like, I mean, he was in air, and he was probably the best actor in that. He mm. played, like, the shouty agent. Nothing yeah. like his Will Harper in this. Uh, I, I don't think I brought up to you that I watched air, actually. Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed yeah. it. Same as yourself. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Very fun movie. I would put it up with um, the likes of uh, Spotlight and stuff. Just people yeah, doing their yeah. jobs, and it's there fun. There you go, Compton's yeah, yeah. point again. There, you are. yeah, yeah. I like it. Okay, shall we toss? Let's do it. All right. Uh, yeah, I unconsciously um, 
I wasn't thinking about horror. I was thinking about <laughs> Christmas and I wanted an sure. alternative take on the Christmas movie. So by accident, I've pushed horror two weeks in a row. It's my own fuck up. I'm sorry, but you know, it's there's integrity to these things. Once I picked it, I can't uh, go back. So I'm putting forward the holiday slasher film, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Very nice, I guess. Uh, I, <laughs> I looked at it. And I already looked at the cast and they've all done nothing else. So that's either great or horrendous. We'll see. Uh, I was going to actually select Year of the Dragon out of respect for Nick Mullen's special, but instead of that, I found the thing that's like as close as I could get, and that's Sidney Pollack's The Yakuza from 1974, starring there Robert Mitchum. I didn't there want to do go. Year of the Dragon because we've, I'd already tossed for that a long time ago and it lost, so we're never going to watch that Michael Cimino film, I'm afraid. I think this, um, I think this is one of those weeks, whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> well, only uh, what because you've put up something crap alongside uh, Yakuza. I don't know. We'll or, or see. You, we'll you see. don't. You don't like Yakuza. You've seen it. Uh, I've seen Yakuza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wasn't a big fan of it. I'll, okay, I'll well, admit that we'll here. See. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not that well received. It's more. It's been better received in recent years. We'll see. Okay, it's heads or tails. Good old British two P coin here. Okay, I'll go tails. Let's find out. I promise I will not fix this, but I actually I don't care who wins. It's it's all the same to me. It is heads. Heads, you lose. No. You did lose. So I'll tell you what you would have won. See, I got it right this time. I Please. was only, I actually didn't do a three-way thing for this. I wanted, to, I selected a film that I wanted to re-watch, which is 2015's Krampus. Have you seen Krampus? No, I have not seen Krampus. Uh, yeah. I wanted to rewatch it because it's quite fun. It's very dark, actually. It's like a dark comedy, but. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, like, it's not going to be sounds... any Krampusing. That that was the first uh, Christmas film that came to mind, so I was going to force you to watch that. Fair enough. Well, I've been sucked into your whole silly game, and I've got three options for you. Okay. Um, I'm going to offer you genre, actor, or director. Let me say those again. Genre, actor, <laughs> director. Okay. Okay, I'll say actor, no. What was the actor one going to be? It's, it's a Mitchum thing, I guess. What was no, it? it wasn't. What was uh, it? It was the, I don't know, the uh, second lead. One of the, the Japanese, Japanese Yeah, I was going to go with the, the 1992 film starring Tom Selleck, Mr. Baseball. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> that would have actually so the, been fun, but still. The, I think I've seen uh, no, Mr. Baseball, actually. After Double Impact last yeah, week, I don't yeah, want to spend any probably, more time yeah, watching let's, bollocks. <laughs> let's try and avoid that, if possible. If the Sydney Pollock is Tootsie. Okay, don't give me any more clues. Hmm. So um, genre or director? If it was out of Africa, I would probably say yes. I'm gonna go. No, I'm gonna go genre. You're gonna go genre. Okay. Well, With what did director? What did, yeah. What did I miss out? You could have won uh, three days of the Condor. I oh, was okay. Go with. That would have been okay, but still. Let's yeah, see. Yeah. What, what do we have actor? Okay. No, so sorry. Gone, yeah, genre, genre. I've gone with a, a, an actual Yakuza film. Um, hmm. one of the classics of the genre, more modern classics. One of the ones that um really raised the profile as a director more so than as a comedian of uh, Tecano, a film called Sonatine. Oh, yeah. I think I put, I don't know if I put that up for a toss or not. Well, I, have, yeah. I have watched a couple of his films. I watched Hanabi and uh, Brother and a few other things. It's supposed to be very good. Yeah. Um, sure, we might, because watching Yakuza films uh, inspired the Schraders to create the story. And being honest, I'll admit this right now, I was a very sleepy boy when I went to see the Yakuza yeah, in Phenomena. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that to you in a text message. So it could well, you know, uh, I I could well have a very different opinion of it. Plus, mm. I have loads of trivia on the making of it and things like that. Nice. It's, a, it's, it's, an a trader. it's a trader it, job. 
It's an interesting story how it came together, actually. Yeah. And it made the two brothers very, very rich men, from bums to rich men very quickly. Nice. Uh, okay, cool. Well, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, looking Same. forward to the movies. Likewise. I'm uh, and actually, in hindsight, I think it could be a good week because we're I think be watching so. I Ro- think that's a, a, Ro- Robert a Mitchum idea. in the seventies. All right, mm-hmm. cool. All right, well, uh, I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you.